Welcome to Into the Yes. I'm Marissa Fay, a functional nutritionist and holistic wellness practitioner. And I'm Jen Nickel, a movement witch and intuitive Reiki master. You are in the right place if you're ready to question society's wellness standards and prepared to be inspired to make changes that are right for you. Join us as we get into the yes. Let's go. Well, welcome back to Into the Yes. I'm Marissa Fay. I am here with my lovely co-host, Jen Nickel. Jen, say hi. Hello. <laughs> and today we are talking about a hot topic. And I say <laughs> hot because that can be one of the symptoms of this particular health issue or phase of life, which is perimenopause. Mm-hmm. Can I add sweaty? Yes, to sweaty. that hot. I was going to say, Jen, what is your word association when I say perimenopause? What do you think when I say that word? I think crap already. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. So (laughs) it's funny because we have this whole lovely list of topics to talk about. And, you know, we kind of just go with the flow of what feels relevant that week. And I've been getting a lot of questions about perimenopause on social media Jen, you said you have a bunch of friends who are in this life stage. So we figured let's get into it. Let's talk about it because I feel like there's a lot of misinformation out there. Yeah. There's a lot that gets like normalized that is not normal. It's just typical. Yeah. And it it becomes one of those things where women are just like, oh, now I'm this, you know, instead of like, no, you don't have to be like that sort of thing like there's we like you just said normalized yeah totally. and also um I'm gonna add to this I myself am in the throes of it so probably yeah. rounding home plate here probably rounding rounding third heading home is what I should say yeah totally so it's really interesting because you and I are we are bookends of the perimenopause phase most likely I am likely somewhere near the beginning and you are likely somewhere near the end. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think that's really important to clarify, and, and I will tell people my age because I'm age proud. I'm 35. Um, I'm also age proud and I'm 46. Exactly. So we are like on either ends, which may be surprising for folks because it is typically about a 10 year period when your body, not period, like bleeding period, a 10 year phase, right? When your body ideally is just slowly working its way towards slowing down that kind of natural menstrual cycle flow of ideally 20 to 32 days that happens, you know, regularly throughout some of your younger years, right? So it is meant to actually be a very slow process, which is why I say, that it's possible I am at the very beginning of it. And we know that you are at the very likely end of it, right? Mm -hmm. But a lot of people think of perimenopause as like, oh, it's just something you hit in your mid forties and it just happens right before you're in menopause. But that's not the case. And you know, I thought that it didn't happen until you were in your fifties. Like I thought this age that I'm in right now is when I might start a little bit of that stuff. So I wasn't taking those early signs to be that. I was taking them to be, oh God, my stupid period things. Totally. And, you know, a lot of women base when they expect menopause to hit them on 
what their mother's experience of it was. And so I have that curiosity for you and you can answer or not of like when your mom might've gone through this. She hasn't been able to give me a specific answer. So um, I, it might've just been, maybe it was around this age, but it might've just been my perception of her age. Here's the thing about this. It's not really talked about. So it wasn't, again, it's like, you know how uh, maybe puberty or our periods aren't really discussed like full on. It's just like, oh, guess what? You're going to bleed out your cooch soon. And here's the thing you do about it. But it's, it's not really a deep discussion. It might be a little bit more now that we're more aware. But I think that menopause and perimenopause is another one that is kind of one of those, we silently go through it. We might go, oh, I'm up all night with hot flashes. And then to a younger person, you'll be like, that'll never happen to me. So my mom didn't really talk a ton about it until I think after it was done. And that might be why I'm thinking 50s. Right. Well, and and other people might relate to me, which is my mother um, had an ablation, I want to say in like her 40s. And so she didn't bleed, but she was pretty sure she ovulated for a long time into her 50s. So it's all possible for the record, right? Like this process could start in your mid 30s. It could start in your mid 40s. Um, it depends on a number of factors. And a lot of people just put weight on genetics and literally the question I just asked you of like, what was your mother's experience like? There are a lot of other factors that I think is important for us to touch on. So can you guess what some of the factors are actually? Well, it's hard for me to guess because I already know at least one of them. And that would be stress levels. Yeah, that was absolutely the first one on my mind. For sure. Yeah. And when we talk about stress, I think you're probably talking about like mental, emotional stress. Yeah. 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 So that is definitely a factor, but I also would think physiological stress. And when we add that to the pile, it really encompasses, gosh, everything, right? Like, we just named all the things that are our body, physiological, mental, emotional. Mm-hmm. We have spiritual in there, yeah. but all of those things connect to that. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So mental, emotional stress, that is, I think can be, you know, day to day, what your, what your life looks like, your experience of your life, your perspective on your life. But when we also think about physiological stress, I really want people to understand the environmental component of this stress piece, which really can include what you are or aren't nourishing your body with. And that could be food-related, hydration-related, movement-related. Yeah. Like uh, I look at how you approach um, food. Yeah. And how you approach fitness. Yep. Absolutely. I also think of it as exposure to certain kinds of toxins. I recently did a a, a video about xenoestrogens and endocrine disruptors, which are things that interrupt your body's kind of natural hormone cycle, often by synthetic chemicals kind of slotting in where your body is typically wanting to use naturally occurring hormones that you have. And that's really detrimental because these are not 
These are chemicals that look similar enough to those hormones, but are not, and they carry with them this just immense toxic load over time. And so that's a big piece of what can be a stressor because it really does interfere with your body's ability to do its thing on its own in a really smooth and easy way. That's another component of that physiological stress that I think about. What else do you think about when I say physiological stress? Does anything else come to mind? Uh, sleep. Yep. Yeah, for the sure. The amount of sleep and rest that your body or lack of. Yep. Sleep and rest. I would totally put in that. Like a lot of us push ourselves beyond what is a healthy limit as far as compromising on how much sleep we get or the quality of sleep that we get. And sleep just creates such an uphill battle that it's not a bank account. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, oh, if I just get five hours for the next week, I can make up for it next week by sleeping nine hours every night. It actually doesn't work like that. No, it just has, but it has a cumulative, lack of sleep has a cumulative effect. And getting, getting consistent good sleep also has a cumulative effect, but you can't make up lost time. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So those are just some of these kind of physiological stressors. And I think it's really important to start there because a body that is under more stress is more likely to experience hormone dysregulation at any phase of life, truly, whether or not it is you know, during menstruating years, during transitioning out of menstruating years, or you're not menstruating at all. Mm-hmm. However, what I will say is your system is more delicate during menstruating years. So menstruation is such a resource intensive process for your body and such an important function that your body has. If you're somebody who has a uterus and, and menstruates that your body gives a lot of preference to that only when there's a certain balance achieved. So Jen, did you ever notice, you know, during especially kind of more regular menstruating years for you that like at certain points in your life when stress levels were high, did your period ever change like the duration or the time between your periods? Do you ever notice anything like that? You know, I, if I was aware of those things, I might have, but I don't think that I put the two together. But I will say that when I was in my 30s, I led a very stressed life. And I had a very heavy and painful period. So I bet if I noticed um, that those two things were linked. Yeah, totally. but I did not have the practices that I have now. Yeah, in place. Yeah, I get that. And it's something right where like when we have more awareness, then we're like, oh, great. All these things to pay attention to. How cool. Yeah. But, but I, you know, one of the things I was thinking about um, is like you, you brought up your mom having an ablation, right? Now that takes away the body's signal of what's going on in it. And, you know, we've been taught or trained to kind of wish we didn't have our period, wish it wasn't happening to be ew about it, to be, to hide it. You know, I remember first getting my period and being like embarrassed that I had to carry anything with me and like everyone will know and all of that. And instead of embracing that, it's just part of, of course, every person with a uterus is going to go through this and 
and it's a process so that, um, you know, what would be lovely is that we would be trained to pay attention to it and let that be a clue about what's happening in our body. Like you said, did I notice any changes in it when my stress was high? Well, if I knew then what I know now, I might look at it and go, I need to dial things back because A, B, or C is happening with my period. But if you're not bleeding regularly because of some other intervention, then would, would you have that clue? It's like a biomarker to what's going on in your body and you become disconnected from it. Yeah, I like to say it's one of the windows to the body. And mm-hmm. the things I would put in that category, if, if I were someone who was like, I just want to have a couple of things to pay attention to so that I can know if my health is in a, is in a good spot or not. And I would say your period, your poops, and your body temperature. Mm-hmm. That will tell you everything you need to know about whether or not something is agreeing with you. Because I will tell you, if you're not getting the right nutrients or nourishment your body needs, one or all of those things are going to be off. If you're not eating enough, one or all of those things are going to be off. If you're moving too intensely, one or all of those things will be off. If you're not moving enough, one or all of those things will be off. Like those are such a fantastic way to know if certain things are agreeing with your body. And what I find a lot of people reach out to me about perimenopause and the symptoms associated with that in like a panic. I can feel their panic in the way they ask their question or the way they share what's going on with them. And it's like, if you, because they're so concerned about all the information they're being inundated with, because truly everyone on the internet who calls themselves a nutritionist, a doctor, a dietitian, a a fitness coach, uh, any of these, any of these professions that remotely relate to health are, are out there saying they're an expert in all of these issues. Right. And they're trying to tell people like, This is the one way. And what I would say is, well, there are things that I think are best practices and work for a lot of people. The best way to know if it's going to work for you is to try it and monitor things like that, because you will know if it works for you or not. And by the way, your body goes through all different kinds of phases. So what worked for you five years ago may not work for you now. And the best way to know that it's time to change something up is to monitor those three things, right? Your poop, Mm -hmm. your period, and your body temperature. That's your waking body temperature, by the way. The basal? Yeah. Yep. So you get a cheap basal body thermometer, uh, like Target, Amazon, anywhere like that. It's like $5. And you just take your temperature when you wake up each morning because healthy bodies that have uteruses and I'm just going to shorthand call them women, everyone just for ease. But if you identify as any of those things, fantastic. Let's, let's speak to you too. But Mm -hmm. women who are in their menstruating years should be when they wake up in the morning, warm, hungry. And unless you're menstruating horny, like you should have some sex drive is kind of what that really points to. And that is just such a huge way to know where your hormones are and how you're doing hormonally. So, okay. So I have a question because I've never heard the temperature thing. I thought that was just a way to find out when you're ovulating and, and even to narrow that down even more, if you, if you've been trying and it didn't work, then your next step would be 
take your body temperature to find out when you're ovulating, which I never did. But that's the only time I've ever heard of that. So now how would we use that as, as an, as help? (laughs) Yeah, such a great question. So a healthy body has a, a high functioning metabolism, a high functioning metabolism. Think of it like a hot oven, right? It's a hot oven. So a hot oven, whatever fuel source you put in there, it's going to burn it. It's going to use it. It's going to love it. It's going to be on all day. No issues running that oven, right? So that is the marker of a healthy metabolism. Now, a healthy metabolism is greatly impacted by all of those stressors we mentioned. So if you are resilient, meaning you've, your body has experienced enough balance that it can handle a little blip here and there that might be stressful, right? A short-term stressor, it's still going to be running hot that oven, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have chronic or prolonged stress in any of those categories and your body is not in a resilient state, and it's not getting the resources it needs to be in a resilient state, that oven is gonna cool off. And so we do want to wake up with uh, with probably a higher body temperature than a lot of people listening have, frankly. So I tell folks, you at least wanna be 97.6. And you'll notice like most of us have kind of a baseline. I don't know if this happened for you, but I know when I was a kid, my normal temperature was not 98.6. That's really Mm -hmm. kind of an arbitrary average. Mm -hmm. A lot of us who have a history of kind of some of these prolonged stressors run a little bit lower. And I have a thyroid issue, which is intimately related to right that oven, that metabolic function. So I run a little cooler, which is not a good thing. So Mm -hmm. I have worked really hard to bring my baseline body temperature upon waking up. And then indeed, when I ovulate, it increases a little bit. And that's how I know I'm ovulating. And that would be the case for anybody with a a menstrual cycle, right? We'd expect to see your morning temperature jump a few points during that ovulation. And then it kind of slowly tends to come down until it's time for you to bleed. But as a general guide, I like to say for most healthy bodies, especially people who have uteruses, we do want to see you with a waking temperature around 97.6. And it's a really cool thing to start looking at because it's something you can be accountable to for yourself, like and something you can do at home, right? To mm-hmm. know, how am I doing? Now, what I would say too, if you're someone who's pretty far off from that, say you wake up with a temperature of like 96 degrees Fahrenheit. What I, what I wanna say to that is like, don't be down on yourself. Use that as a marker of progress and know that progress takes time, right? But then mm-hmm. you can kind of make some little adjustments in this kind of reducing some of the stressors improving the nourishment of your body. And what you should see is kind of slow and gradual progression to heating up. And it does take time. It's not, it's truly not an overnight thing. It's not like, okay, I changed and I ate really nourishing meals today. And so tomorrow I expect I will wake up 97 degrees after being 96 degrees most days. That's not always the case. It can be if your system is is resilient and bounces back quickly, but Nevertheless, this is still a really cool way to get in tune with your body's rhythms. Okay, cool. So, all right. So say we're 35, 36, 37. What are some of the first signs that might go unnoticed um, 
that we are entering into the perimenopausal period of time. Yes, great. I should question. say phase. <laughs> yes, phase. And what I also want to say to preface this is ideally, we do want to maintain our menstrual cycle as long as possible, right? Like that is ideal. It's good for heart health, it's good for bone health, it's great for our hair, skin, nails, all of those things, right? So we do, do we want. Have a, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Do we have a choice? I know. And it's so controversial. And what I'll say is like, yeah, it's one of those things where like some of it's choice and some of it's not, right? And we do the best we can. So I certainly don't want anyone to feel bad if they're in their 30s and really starting to notice this transition, okay? Mm-hmm. I also want everyone to know there are always things you can do, right? And also there are always times where you may not want to do those things and that is all okay, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is really a situation where it's like, here's some information, take what serves you, leave what doesn't, right? Absolutely. So what I will say though, some of the first signs that people often notice is a change in their cycle. And when I say cycle, I mean the duration of from day one is the first day you bleed. And the last day of your cycle is the day before your next bleed. So on average, From a functional standpoint, I like to see for my clients and myself, a cycle that's about 26, 27 to 32, 33 days. Now, ideally we like to tighten that range and we'll say like 28 to 32, but it's still considered relatively normal if you're a day or two outside of that range in either direction. Mm -hmm. But some signs that you might be entering into this next phase are that that length drastically changes. So drastically increases. So for example, you have your first day of your bleed and then it's 40 days to the next bleed, right? Mm -hmm. Or what could happen is that it shortens significantly, right? Gotcha. So it will be different per person. Yes. Because I know for me, the first thing that started to happen was it was really short in between. Yes. And I was just going to say that, and it can happen where the first couple of years, it goes shorter. And then the next couple of years, it goes longer. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is something that you might notice as you're in this phase. Like I said, that can be up to 10 years. Right. So that's something that can occur. The other thing that can occur related specifically to your menstrual cycle is an increase in the number of days that you bleed. So you might notice that typically you bleed five days and all of a sudden you start bleeding seven days. Mm-hmm. Right? So that can happen. You also might notice things like changes in your hair, your nails, your skin. It's that kind of reverse puberty in some ways. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you have this symptom where you've got some acne like hormonal type acne at all? Did you experience that? I did, but you know, I've always for my whole life had that happen. And now the older I get, the less and less it does, but definitely during, during that phase, mm-hmm. I would get like always on my chin, you know, a pimple or two. Totally. And when we think of hormonal acne, we think of jawline, we think of chin typically. Mm-hmm. So that makes a lot of sense that you might see some of that there. And then of I course, my eyebrows thin. 
Yeah. And the eyebrow thinning too speaks to that metabolic health piece because that can be a thyroid symptom too. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. Um, the other thing that's really common that people talk a lot about are like night sweats. Mm -hmm. Okay. I can speak at length. Yes. And change is just, again, where sometimes the oven is hot, hot, hot. And sometimes Mm -hmm. the oven is off, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that was, that was midway. So, you know, my personal experience is this all happened over the span of three years pretty quickly. Mm. Like there wasn't much happening before those three years. Everything was pretty predictable. Um, It was fine. It was manageable. But within the past four years, I've gone from um, these beginning noticeable things to where I'm at right now. So first it was periods being closer together and then periods being further apart. And it's when they shifted from that, that I started with sweats. Mm -hmm. I just call them sweats. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what I would say to that is but the reason most people experience these types of symptoms have to do with an imbalance between estrogen and progesterone. And this is really important because sometimes even women in their 20s start experiencing some of these symptoms, and that can be really alarming. It's also how some people, I think, get misdiagnosed with things like PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome that what's most likely really happening is something called estrogen dominance. And estrogen dominance is, it can be one of two things, which is it truly can be, you have a lot of excess estrogen in your system, period, which some estrogen is produced inside your body, but we also are exposed to synthetic estrogens and that's that xenoestrogen term. And we can find these synthetic estrogens, so things that are very estrogenic and estrogen-like, and the body recognizes them as such, are in plastics, are in fragrances, are in cleaning products, beauty and skincare products, um, are in building materials, for example, what we build our homes with, and are in pesticides and some of the things we use to grow foods. So we get a lot of inundation possibly with these estrogen-like materials. And if your body is backed up or is having trouble doing a good job removing excess estrogen or detoxifying that estrogen, then we start to see this dominance, right? Where the system can have way too much estrogen. However, there is a second type of estrogen dominance. And I would say, This is for probably our community because Jen, I think of our community as like health aware, health curious, right? People who they're Mm -hmm. trying things, right? Like, yeah, you know, interested in finding something out. Yes. And they've Mm -hmm. probably tried a couple of things themselves and learned some things that they feel like are really good for them and things that are not for them and all of that. So in this community, what I'm most concerned about is this other type of estrogen dominance, which is about too much estrogen compared to progesterone. So these two hormones really work together depending on where you are in your cycle and your life phase and all of that good stuff. And you can have just too much estrogen in proportion to progesterone. And Mm -hmm. things that can drive progesterone low, by the way, you're gonna notice a theme, stress. Stress is the number one progesterone killer. 
And so when we have low progesterone and even have just normal presence of estrogen, we can present with these estrogen dominant symptoms. Estrogen dominant symptoms being? Night sweats, these long periods, painful periods, big shifts in your cycle. They're all the same things. That heavy happen. periods? Can be, yep. Okay. Typically heavy is the way they go. But a lot of the same symptoms associated with perimenopause are associated with estrogen dominance. So, so I, how do we know what's, yeah. How am I going to know? Because I, you know, in the beginning when things were changing for me, well, well it was one blood test, which you might debate as being accurate, mm -hmm. but it showed estrogen dominance. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that's how things were being treated at that point. Yeah. Um, how do we know the difference? Like, was that me and perimenopause or was that estrogen dominance? And then it led into because it all happened around this age, but it all happened around a big stress event for me. Yeah. So I would say it's possibly both. Okay. And frustratingly, I'm not sure it matters. Doesn't matter. Just and, need and, to treat. Yeah. Right. I think actually what I, what I would say about it is if we can address the estrogen dominance, we can actually chip away at what is the estrogen dominant symptom versus the perimenopause symptom. Mm -hmm. And that, by the way, is a good order of operations for the vast majority of women. Because if you go in and you try to address the perimenopause symptoms, which I see a lot of people doing with bioidentical hormones, which is very concerning. If you just go in and try to address what you think is perimenopause with hormone replacement, and you do not address what is likely at least in part due to this estrogen dominance and this poor detoxification of excess estrogen, you are going to wind up with increased health risks that you do not want, right? We're talking about the mm -hmm. big C. We're talking about sex hormone related cancers. We're talking about possibly bone health issues, neurological issues, liver issues. So hormone replacement therapy has a time and place. And that time and place for most people, not everyone, but most people is after you first address what could be related to this estrogen dominance. That makes sense. And what's cool about that is when we address some of the estrogen dominant symptoms, you will then start to see certain symptoms go away and start to dissipate, right? Like, mm -hmm. and that's really cool because that tells you honestly, whether or not it's related to perimenopause, it's like you have control over some of it. You know, some right. of it is, it's a natural process. It's going to happen. So yeah. let's not get it twisted. And just like being in your menstruating years is really has some beautiful and amazing things for us all to benefit from and learn from and experience in our bodies and lives. So too does that phase after those years, right? So we certainly don't want to make one phase sound better than the other. That is a, that is a big piece to this. And when you say, um, you know, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter physiologically, but there's an emotional component to this that, um, for me personally has come up and it's still coming up. And I, I wonder if you would guess at what it is. Yeah. I was going to ask you, like, if you're comfortable talking about it, because 
I really think, you know, there can be grief associated with these transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know for me getting my period was actually, I had a lot of grief around getting my period because I got it pretty young mm-hmm. and I had a lot of shame around that. And I, and I really grieved what I thought was fitting in, you know? Mm-hmm. And I also know that some people experience grief of, you know, transitioning out of having a regular menstrual cycle because of all the signs we have of that being like fertile and vital and sexy and young and all of these things. And so I wonder if you'd feel comfortable telling us more about, you know, what you're experiencing as you're in this, in this phase and transition process. Well, if you know me, you know, I am comfortable talking about yeah. all the things, pretty open book here. So, and it's my favorite thing to share. I have a lot of grief around it. I have a lot of emotion around it because, you know, even though I intellectually know what's happening and even though my belief system is to follow the rhythm of the body and all of that, there's a piece of me that is like, no, I'm not ready. Not yet, please. And I, and I have to say, this is, this is a, um, partly because of ageism, you know, because maybe mostly because younger is always better. Isn't that what we've learned? Mm -hmm. And Um, and as soon as this happens, I mean, we're not taught a lot about perimenopause and menopause, but one of the things we're definitely taught about it, that it's probably more than any of the other things about it is that, well, you're done as soon as that's over because your tits are going to sag, your face is going to sag, your hair is going to fall out. You're just going to be old. You're not going to be visible to the world anymore as vital or as someone who can contribute. These are all the messages we've gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have a lot of emotion around that. I'm like, I'm not ready to be that old yet. Yeah, we're not in- ready for this phase of my life. I'm not ready to give up on the piece of me that um, was my mothering piece. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what the menstrual cycle is about, right? It's, preparing us to, this doesn't mean anybody, everyone has to become a mother or, but if we look at maiden mother crone, the mother phase of life is shifting into crone. And that's a hard piece. And there's a ton of grief around it. There's a ton of grief around it. Yeah. And I think we do live in an ageist society, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the question that popped into my mind, and I'm curious what you think of this, is what if no one else knows? Because I, I would not look at you and be like, ah, she's, she's in menopause, you know, or, <laughs> or anything <laughs> like, like you, to me, have such a vibrant energy and, and honestly, a, a like clarity in your eyes and your face. You look youthful to me. You, I experience you as youthful. And so I do have that curiosity of like, well, what about if no one else knows? Um, it's not about everyone else. It's, it's that inner emotion and the attachments that are involved in it that come up. It's like my own, um, I don't, I don't want to call it battle. It's the conversation between my ego self and my higher consciousness almost, you know, of like, 
this is the way it's meant to be, but also does it go a little deeper because this brings us one step closer to being older, which ultimately leads to death, right? Yeah. And so there's that, that's a very deep awareness that we pretty much ignore. We pretty much live day to day thinking we're gonna be here forever, even though we can all say intellectually, of course we know we're not, but we don't attach to that. And this is just, it's a very physical sign that, oh, you're shifting into that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and along with these changes comes other things. And I know that it's different in every body, but for me, there's come a, a body change. There's come weight gain, there's come, and it's not just weight gain, it's a different shape. Mm -hmm. um, and so who I identified is, or how I identified with my physicality is changing along with this idea that like, oh, you, you're, you're moving out of that mothering phase. And it also has coincided with my children leaving the nest or growing up and needing me less and less. So there's a lot involved for me here, kind of a mess about the whole thing, right? But, but also embracing it and, um, and acknowledging it, like by saying, wow, I have a lot of emotion around this. And it's not that I think I shouldn't, it's just, okay, I have a lot of emotion around this. And then one other thing that I want to say, just because I feel like it always helps to hear a perspective um, in the idea that maybe someone else is like, I kind of feel like that too, um, is I somehow feel like, like everyone who hasn't gone through this yet at this age somehow wins a little, oh. you know? Like, um, like they're doing better at this life thing because they still have their period at 50, but I am losing mine. And, and just for clarification or for everyone listening, my period, I have not, I have not, I'm in my 46th year and I, my period, I haven't had one since November. So it's been several months now and I, I'm, I'm on that road into it. That's why we said I'm at the tail end of this. So, and, but then there's people like, oh, I still get my period and no, I'm not having those things. And I like, I don't want to admit this, but I'm going to admit it. I feel a little jealous, yeah. you know? And I think it is because of those emotions that I have around it. Like, oh, you still have that youthful quality, which is bleeding every month. Mm -hmm. And I actually, and then the other piece to it, sorry, I'm getting so wordy, but there's so <laughs> much to it is that um, there were a lot of as aspects that I loved about my period because I had immense um, intuitive moments leading up to my period and like downloads and connection and I could feel things deeper um, and all of that. So there's, there's a lot wrapped up in it for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'll leave which, that. Like yeah. all that is so valid. And I'm so glad you shared because I'm sure other people can identify with what you just shared. And this is one of those things where it's like, it's a big transition and it's a long transition, you know? And I think that's the piece I really want people to take away from this. And to be clear, for most people, we say they fully entered menopause when they haven't bled for a year. Um, so that's why there's significance in you sharing. The last time you bled was November. And so mm -hmm. we don't really know yet actually where you are, right? Right, uh, right. We won't know until November, right? We won't, um, right. And it is 
possible you may bleed again. Who knows, right? Right. But, and there's a little, there's a little shred of hope in me. Yeah. Which I'm, I also just to let everyone know, these things I'm working on. Yes. Right. I set intentions to release those needs and I, and I ask to be open and ease around it. So just also want to share that, that side to this. I'm not wallowing going, Oh my God, everyone's younger than me. I've, I don't even bleed. Ah! You know, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing the work. Right. Yeah, of course. Of course you are. And still it's hard, right? And, and still that, it's hard. And it's also beautiful. beautiful. Right. Right. Yeah, it's all the same things, just like all the other things you said are part of this transition, kids leaving the nest or becoming more independent, right? Like mm -hmm. all that is great. I mean, that's what you want for your kids, right? Right. But it's still transition. And so whether or not someone has, you know, this experience of knowing they're grieving, you know, or not, and maybe the grief sneaks up on you at some point, that's okay, right? It's that okay. Is that is a part of this. That is part of being a human, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that's all valid and valuable. I do really want us to talk about what things you've tried that have helped some of these symptoms and mm -hmm. also what things I might recommend people consider, but we mm -hmm. are getting long-winded. So yeah. I'm going to call a timeout. Uh, and we'll leave everyone with a little bit of a cliffhanger and we will pick up with a discussion about that, about what can help, what to do if you're experiencing these symptoms. You know, some of the things maybe you've tried, Jen, that have mm -hmm. helped you ease with this transition or not. Um, and I also want us to talk a little bit about cycle syncing, both during menstruating years and outside of menstruating years. So yeah. Just a little teaser of what's to come. Yeah. So we need a part two and possibly a part three. Exactly. This is a so complicated topic. It is. And what I want people to take away from that is please be skeptical, be curious when you see anyone on the internet trying to put perimenopause into one neat little package, because that is not realistic. We just spent like 30, 40 minutes talking about just scratching the surface of this topic, right? Mm. So it is something that deserves nuance, attention, and does not deem kind of quick fix, quick glaze over moment. There's a lot here. There is a lot here. <laughs> yeah. So on that note, Jen, what are you a yes for? after this discussion. I'm a yes for embracing change. Oh, yeah. I am a yes for being open to different perspectives and thoughts on, on our health, on our well-being, on what's going on with our body. I think it's really important to stay curious about that. Yeah. Well, stay curious, George. Stay curious, George. All right. We'll see you for part two on Perimenopause next week. All right. Peace out. Peace out.